The following audio is from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. If you have your Bibles with you today, please open them with me to the book of Galatians, chapter 2. Galatians, chapter 2, I want to look at verses 11 through 16 today. I've entitled today's message, Straightforward About the Truth of the Gospel. Straightforward About the Truth of the of the gospel. You're turning in Galatians, but I remind you of what Paul the Apostle said in the book of Romans, chapter 16, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 16. He said this, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. This gospel message, this message concerning Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. This message has the power from heaven, from God, to save men and women's lives, eternal life, to bring salvation, to forgiveness of sins, to completely transform a life. All of that is contained in this message that we'll be looking at here today, this message we commonly call the gospel. And because it's so powerful, because it's divinely powerful, it's not something that man can tinker with. It's not something that man can adapt or change or modify. We can add nothing to it, nor can we subtract anything from it. We need to be straightforward about the truth of the gospel. That's where the power is. That's where the life-changing grace is available. And as we look today in these verses, I I just want to remind you a little bit of kind of the context and bring you up to date as to where we are in this letter. You you remember that it's the letter the Apostle Paul is writing to these uh, believers that are gathering in various churches in the region of Galatia. And as he writes to them, he's concerned that, in fact, this message of the gospel has been tampered with. And he's really concerned that the the church is being deceived, led astray by false ideas about the truth of this message. By way of review, in chapter 1, verse 6, Paul said this, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to another gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. How important is this message? How important that we retain it in its purity, its its integrity, its truthfulness. Paul is defending it. He's spoken to them about his own calling as an apostle. He's told them that there is no other message but this gospel. He's also recently, we saw last week, he's talked to them about a trip that he made to Jerusalem. And he went there to talk to some of the apostles that were there in Jerusalem. He spoke with Peter and John and uh, the brother of Jesus named James. And after telling them the gospel message that he had been presenting out in the non-Jewish world, the Gentile world, outside of Jerusalem and Israel, when they heard what Paul was preaching, they said, that's it. That is the gospel message. You are preaching the same message we are preaching. And he said, they gave me the right hand of fellowship, this endorsement. You go. 
You go keep preaching that message. We'll continue to preach it here in Jerusalem to the Jewish community. You go preach it to the non-Jewish community. And after telling them of his trip to Jerusalem, we come to the second half of this chapter, and Paul is going to give another uh, instance, another occasion, which he hopes will help support this church in their understanding of the gospel. Very interesting passage. Uh, something many believers don't even know that this took place, kind of tucked in here for us. Take a look with me now in verse 11. Paul is going to speak about Peter coming to the church in Antioch. Verse 11. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For, for before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Paul tells us of a conflict. Paul tells us of an incident that took place at the church in Antioch. Now, a little background on the church in Antioch. Remember, the church began where? In Jerusalem. That's where the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. Peter stood up, proclaimed the gospel. Thousands came to faith. But sometime as the church went on in Jerusalem, persecution arose the same persecution that came against Christ eventually came against the followers of Christ. And that persecution caused many of the believers to leave town. And they scattered for fear of the persecution. And they ended up, some of these Christians ended up in this city known as Antioch. It was in that day, Syria, today probably modern-day Turkey, but it's along the coast there, uh, just north of Jerusalem. This church, there were Jewish converts, Christians that had come there, but there were also many Greeks, non-Jewish, Gentile believers that were coming to faith. This church became this blend of Jewish and Christian converts, a real kind of diverse congregation, but it was happening at this church. The Holy Spirit was active in this church. We find this in the book of Acts. There were prophets prophesying there. The apostle Paul himself with Barnabas, they were pastoring and serving in the work. This is the church that prayed for and sent out the apostle Paul on that first missionary journey. He and Barnabas were sent out, not from Jerusalem. No, from this church in Antioch. This became like the, the, the New Testament model church of Jew and Gentile fellowship and God working mightily by the Holy Spirit and just bearing fruit. And they became the sending uh, church for the whole world. The, the, the rest of the known world was kind of influenced by the missionaries that were sent out from this church in Antioch. So Peter, he's back in Jerusalem. That was kind of the original headquarters. He wants to go check this out. So he comes to Antioch, and sure enough, this church is happening, there, and he's enjoying the fellowship with this church. He's, there are Jewish converts there. There are non-Jewish converts there. He's fellowshipping with them. You can picture it. It's a potluck, and they're all coming together and enjoying a fellowship. They're partaking of communion together, and Peter is free to fellowship with these Gentile, non-Jewish believers, 
Now, they weren't eating uh, the dietary kosher foods prescribed by Moses, but Peter is okay with that. He knows that there's freedom in Christ. So who knows? They're having ham sandwiches, pork chops, bacon, lobster. All the good stuff is there at Antioch. And they're enjoying this fellowship. But then some others from Jerusalem come. And this is what Paul is describing. Something happens. These Jewish believers from Jerusalem, and now this is a little more staunchy group. This is a little more kind of looking down their nose still at these Gentiles. They're not really sure if these Gentiles even belong in the people of God family. And if they do, if we are going to let them become Christians, they at least have to also become Jewish. They need to at least get circumcised, obey the laws, and at least keep the dietary laws. They're coming to kind of inspect what's happening at this new work. And they're not altogether favorable. Well, guess what? Peter's intimidated. The apostle Peter, he's intimidated by what these guys are kind of casting over this new church. And so when they arrive, he distances himself. Oh, I can't be with you guys tonight. Sorry. Oh, no, no, I can't eat your foods today. You know, we got the guys from from Jerusalem here. No, no. And all of a sudden, he's starting to put this kind of condescending feeling upon the Gentile believers who just days before he was enjoying sweet fellowship. Paul notices it. And it's not just Peter. Peter's the leader. He's the one most accountable. He's the apostle Peter. But also Barnabas, his best buddy, his missionary traveling friend also gets caught up. And the other Jews that were fellowshipping there at Antioch, all of a sudden, this close family relationship with the Gentiles Uh uh-uh, we have to kind of now act prim and proper because our Jewish, you know, uh, peer group has arrived. And Peter, or excuse me, Paul calls it out. And he says, you guys were getting, he says basically they were getting caught up in what he describes as hypocrisy. What is hypocrisy? Uh, The actual word means to act, to pretend, You're pretending to be something, but you're really something else. And that's exactly what was going on. Peter was pretending that the Gentile fellowship wasn't really orthodox according to his desire for Judaism. Now, Peter knew better. Peter himself is the one that first preached the gospel to non-Jewish people. You remember in the book of Acts, he was, uh, had a vision. He was up on the roof praying, and he had a vision. The Lord brought down this, this garment filled with animals, non-kosher animals, and the Spirit of God said, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. So there would have been these, you know, animals that the Jews would never kill and eat, uh, you know, uh, pork and lobster and whatever else there would be. And Peter, and Peter says, no, Lord, not so. These are unclean. Three times he sees this vision and the Lord says, Peter, don't you call unclean what I have called and declared clean. And about that time, there's a knock on the door and Peter is invited to go to a Gentile centurion's home by the name of Cornelius. And he goes with them. And having had this vision recognizing that God is directing him, he's willing to go into this centurion's home. Now, that was taboo for a Jew. You never stepped foot into a Gentile home. 
that was unclean. You would defile yourself. But he's willing to go in because God has just told him, don't declare unclean what I have declared clean. He knows the Holy Spirit is at work. And so he begins to share the story of Jesus. He preaches the gospel. And what happens? While he's preaching the gospel, they're in the home. They're listening. They're believing it. They're getting saved as he's preaching the message. The scripture says that the Holy Spirit fell upon them in this radical way. And Peter realized God is saving the Gentiles. God is willing to share the the message of Christ to all. And he says, the Holy Spirit's filled them. Let's go ahead and baptize them. And this is the beginning of the, the work in the Gentile world, God's plan all along, but it wasn't understood completely by the Jewish community. So Peter knew better. That's the point. Peter had seen it. He'd been used by God. But now, now he's pretending that there's something wrong with the Gentile believers in Antioch. That's a pretense. He knew that those, they were saved. He knew that God loved them. He knew that, that, that there was nothing unclean in them just because they enjoyed different foods than him. He knew better, but he pretended like they were, there was something wrong. Second-class Christian, I've got, to kind of, I've got my peer group here. I've got to be careful. And he's pretending to them too. He's pretending to his peers that he really is this Orthodox Jew, and I don't really fellowship with the Gentiles. I don't eat with them. But he did just days before. So you see this pretense that's going on, and it's the Apostle Peter. Well, Paul calls him out. Barnabas got caught up in it. And also uh, the other Jews that were fellowshipping at Antioch. Peter's sending the wrong message. Peter, by his example, is casting an untrue kind of picture of the gospel. Now, that's important. Where you eat and who you eat with and, and, you know, uh, seating arrangements at a a fellowship, those are not really important things unless it begins to communicate something untrue about the gospel. Now, that is important. We're talking about the gospel and its message and the integrity of it. So Paul rises up. Just a couple of thoughts here. We're talking about these truths, this straightforward truth of the gospel. First thing we can recognize this. There is no room for hypocrisy in the gospel. Let me say it again. There is no room for hypocrisy in the gospel. Not just for Peter, for any of us. No pretenders, thank you. Be sincere. Be honest in your heart with God and with your relationship with men and and those that you would fellowship with. We don't need peer groups and cliques. We don't need those that can fellowship and those that can't. We need the body of Christ to be the body of Christ and the love of God that has saved us all flows through us all to all. No room for hypocrisy. That's a clear message from this text. But let's read on. Peter, Paul is going to continue his challenge here with Peter. He's, he's talked about the conflict. Now look what he says to Peter, verse 14. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? You understand what he's saying. I'm kind of putting it, you know, just 
paraphrasing a little bit. Peter, I've got a question for you. Hey, you know, last week you were here living like a Gentile, enjoying the foods, the fellowship, the company of these non-Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ. Nothing sinful. I'm not talking about, you know, moral, uh, sinful conduct. We're just talking about freedom that you had in Christ. You were here enjoying that fellowship. You, as a Jew, you were living and acting like a Gentile. Now, you, now that these, you know, guys from Jerusalem have shown up, now you're acting like, oh, by the way, Gentiles, you need to behave like Jews. How is that right? You're a Jew. You're free to be like a Gentile. But the Gentiles, oh, no, no, you need to, be, you need to become Jews. And Paul calls out this hypocrisy, and he calls it out in the form of a question. Just a couple of thoughts here. It is worth noting that even Peter, even the apostle Peter, needed some accountability and some correction in his life. This is the Peter that was used mightily in the gospel. This is the Peter that had miracles flowing through his ministry. This is the Peter that thousands became saved at the preaching of his message. This is the Peter who God was using. This is the Peter that Jesus commissioned. Peter, if you love me, take care of my sheep. This was the disciple who became the apostle, this great man of God of the early church. And yet even Peter, as as it turns out, is vulnerable to his own character. Even Peter made a mistake. Even Peter needed correction and accountability. Now let's just be honest. If Peter needed it, you and I still need it. Don't ever think you get to the place where, oh, I've been walking with the Lord for 20 years. Good for you. We would, we would expect to see a little better performance if that's true, right? No, we don't, don't ever get to that place where you're proud, where you think, you know what, God's used me. I'm, I've ministry, I this. Hey, this is Peter. And Peter needed to be called out and set, and set straight. That's a good advice to us all. Now, by, by every indication... It seems to me that Peter received this. There's no, not, there's no recording of Peter kind of, you know, bristling up. Well, I'm an apostle too, Paul. You can't talk to me. You can't. No, no. Peter was busted, and he knew it. And in fact, later in Peter's own writings, he writes of Paul. He says, our beloved Paul. Peter respected Paul. Peter loved him as a brother, as a fellow apostle. Peter knew better than this. And thank God he had a brother that would confront him and speak to him. That kind of brings us to the second thing. You know, sometimes you just have to go and you have to talk. Sometimes you do have to confront. Now, not everything needs confrontation. Don't go marching off confronting every ill thing you think you need need to straighten people out on. That's not what we need. What we do need are those that will help keep us accountable when it matters, when it's serious. And this is serious. Paul's not trying to, you know, kind of one-up on Peter. He said, I saw that they were not being straightforward with the gospel. Paul's motivation is purely the gospel's integrity, not his personal pride or apostleship on the line. No, this isn't petty, personal, you know, you bug me and now I need to confront you. This is, Peter, you're an apostle, and what you do matters in the church because people see you and they're following you. And you've got to maintain the integrity of what you and I both know is true. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are times to confront. There are times to, to deal with, with things. Paul says that I, I said this to him before them all. This was a public 
correction. Now, the scripture tells us that if we're offended normally, and I would say most generally, we would go to someone privately, you and a brother by yourself, one-on-one. That's the most common way to talk and work out details. But in this case, because of Peter's position as an apostle, to whom much is given, much is required, and because of the public display of his hypocrisy, Paul felt compelled to correct it publicly for the benefit of the church, not to shame Peter, but to protect the work. You see the difference? This isn't about, you know, you know putting a guy in his place. This is about protecting the message and those that have put their trust in the message. Paul is, is working purely to be straightforward concerning the truth of the gospel. And so there is this correction. And so it seems that it works out from every indication. What are the elements? Honesty, humility, teachability, being willing to be corrected, forgiveness, love. These are the elements that go into any kind of corrective or confrontation or any kind of restoration. Well, finish up with me here. We're just going to look at a couple more verses. Paul goes on. He calls Peter. Hey, Peter, why are you acting like this? And then he, then he gives him the, the correct understanding. Verse 15. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Paul continues in his conversation with Peter, and no doubt for the benefit of the hearers. Peter, you and I are Jews, not like the, the sinners of the Gentiles. Now, Paul was not being condescending to the Gentiles. This is the Jewish mind he's, he's dealing with. That, that in the Jewish mind, look, we're the people of God, and everyone else are the sinful Gentile, non-Jewish world. Even in the church, sometimes we're the church, and everybody out there is the world, the sinful world. And in some respect, that's true. Except that even in the church, we're, just, we're sinners too, but we're just saved by grace. That's the difference. But Paul is trying to draw out this same difference to Peter. Peter, you and I are Jews, okay, and we're not like all the other Gentile, you know, unbelieving pagan world, but even we needed faith in Christ to be justified. We didn't get in by keeping any law. You know this, Peter. We're not saved. We're not right with God because we're circumcised. We're right with God. We're justified with God through faith in Christ. If we needed that to be saved, don't you know, that's what we should be preaching for all to be saved. Not trying to get them on some works religious duty program. No, no, that didn't work for us. We didn't get saved that way. We got saved by grace. We got saved by the mercy and gift of God. When we put our faith in his son, when we believed in what he had done for us. And this was not new. Paul would teach in the book of Romans, this was always how God saved. He said even Abraham, way before the law, way before, you know, all of the dietary instructions from Moses, 
even Abraham was made righteous, how? By works? By faith. Because God said, through you, Abraham, I, through your seed, I am going to bless the nations. God was speaking prophetically to Abraham that through his lineage would come someone who would ultimately bless all nations of the world. He was speaking of Christ. And it says that Abraham believed him. And when Abraham believed him, God accounted it to him as righteousness. He was justified by faith. Abraham was looking forward to a coming Jesus. We look back on the Jesus who has come and accomplished what he has done. And all are saved by faith. All are justified, not by works, not by religious program and merit and trying harder and performance. No, we are justified by faith, by believing in what God has provided for us through Christ. This is an important truth. This would be my second, you know, real uh, important truth. We talked about not being uh, hypocrisy, not being allowed within the gospel message. Uh, We're talking about being straightforward about the truth. The second thing is this, that all are justified by faith, by faith alone. You can't add anything to it, nor can anything uh, be earned or merited by your efforts. Two things that I would kind of caution you on when it comes to this idea of being justified by faith. There is the temptation to come over into this idea of pride because you're working extra hard as a Christian. You're doing really well. I mean, you're in church. You're in church twice a week. You serve. And all those things are good. But none of those things justify you before God. You understand that, right? You understand that coming to church, getting on a religious treadmill of of performance does not in any way enhance your right standing with God. And that can be prideful. And you can begin to think, you know, I'm I'm doing pretty well. A lot better than that guy who, you know, comes every other Sunday or once in a while. Look, he's not really after the Lord like me. And this pride, all based on what? Works, merit, performance. And God, God doesn't save by, on, on, those, on that basis. Be careful. You can, it's a kind of, it just, it's, it's human nature. We're proud of what we're doing, how well we're doing. And this is what was happening even in this early church. These Jews, they thought, well, we're better Christians because, look, we also keep the Mosaic law in addition to Christ. And this is what Paul says, we don't need anything in addition to Christ. No works of the law ever saved anybody. All are saved by faith, by faith in what Jesus Christ alone has done on our behalf. There's no room for pride, no room for self-righteousness. Listen, you talk to people all the time. How are you doing? Hey, you know, uh, how's your relationship with God? Even people that are not born again, non-Christians. And what's the common answer? Oh, I'm fine. God knows my heart. I'm a good person. You know what that is? That's self-righteous. God's good with me. I'm good. Oh, I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect, but I'm good. I do more good than bad. And I've tipped the scales in my favor. I'm fine with God. And that's a false belief that somehow you can earn favor before God. You're a sinner. You, You violate one part of the law, you're guilty of the whole thing. You're not perfect. At least you admit that. Guess what? That makes you guilty before God. 
because God's only looking for perfection. And you and I can't attain it. Never can, never will, never have. But there is one who did. There is one who lived that perfect life that we could not. His name was Jesus. And he didn't, amen. And he didn't just, li- amen, all right. He didn't just live it. He then offered that perfect life as a sacrifice and payment for our sin. You talk about love. You talk about grace, a gift. And all he now requires is that you would believe it sincerely in your heart. And he will justify you. This is the first time the word justify appears in this letter. And it's a a powerful legal term. You are justified before God as you put your faith in Christ. No more guilt. No more shame. All the, the slate is wiped clean. You stand perfect and complete in God, before God in Christ. So pride is one of the dangers. The other side, the other danger is condemnation, guilt, and shame. You see, the proud person, he's over there performing well, and he thinks he's just so holy and good with God because look how well he thinks he's doing. But then you have the other side of the coin. You have those that are trying but not doing very well. And you're just kind of, you know, shoulders slumped and just like, I don't know. I'm not a very good Christian. I don't think God's very happy with me at all. I don't think I'm justified before him. I know what I did last night. I'm a mess. I I, I love the Lord. I want the Lord. I've I've invited Jesus into my life, but I find that I'm I'm not living up to it very well. And this sense of condemnation and this guilt and this shame as if somehow your performance makes a difference concerning your standing before God. Now, we're not condoning sinful, bad performance. But what we're saying is, look, that's not what justifies you. You're not closer to God when you do well and then, you know, unacceptable before God when you you make a mistake. Listen, we just saw Peter. Look, if Peter the apostle was still stumbling, don't you know you and I are still stumbling? I don't know about you, but I am. I still wrestle with my human nature as much as it, you know, pains me and I hate it. And, and uh, you know, I, but what do I do? That's, that's kind of, I'm still stuck in this kind of uh, working out my salvation with fear and trembling. But I'm not where I used to be. Praise God. God is changing me. It is a process. And you know what happens when I stumble, when I fall? You know what I do? Well, I pout for a few weeks and feel really bad and then try to get, you know, try to do really good. And then I come to, no, you know what I do? I come to the Lord. God, forgive me. Oh, God, I don't want to forgive. My God, be merciful to me. What does the Bible say? If you will, what? Confess your sin. He is what? Faithful and just to forgive you. Just be quick to repent. I'm not, God sees the heart. He, don't, don't play, we're not talking about playing games. But we're talking about the sincere believer who still struggles, but he loves God. He comes to God for mercy, and there is grace sufficient for you because you're justified by faith, not by works, not by any merit or performance of your own. Third and finally, I kind of wanted to identify three truths here. One, There's no room for hypocrisy. Two, all are justified by faith. And third, kind of a result of this, the end equation is we are all equal in Christ. 
We are all equal in Christ. There's no better Christian. There's no second-class Christian. There's just Christians. There's just believers in Christ. You're either in or you're out. There's no middle ground. There's no, well, wow, he's super Christian. No, he's not. He's just a Christian. Oh, she's a mediocre Christian. Not if she's a Christian. She's a Christian. God is not looking to, to, to grade us on the curve. God's grade for us is through the lens of Christ. He, before he sees you, he sees the intercessor. He sees the mediator. He sees your advocate. The Father looks out on us, and Christ is there. This one is mine. This is one that I died for. This is the one that I paid the price for. And God sees Christ's perfection and righteousness in your heart and in mine. Can you improve on that? Can you do anything to ruin that? My goodness, we are all equal. Listen, the the ground at the cross is all the same. There are no highs and lows. We are all just sinners saved by grace. And this should be encouraging to us all. And you know what? This should open our hearts up to one another. There's no judging. There's no measuring. There's no competition. There's no comparing. There's no room for that. Hey, sinner. Hey, yeah, that's me too. We're just saved by the blood of Jesus. It's just Jesus that creates and brings us all together in this family. I want to close with this verse. The Apostle Paul is building his theme through this letter. And I'm going to jump ahead, but kind of, this is kind of where he's heading with a lot of this instruction. In chapter 3 and verse 28, you've probably heard this passage. Let me quote it to you. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. There's no schisms in Christ. Wow. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Now, in that day, that was, the, that was the racial divide. That was an ethnic issue. There's no racial divide in Christ. There's neither slave nor free. There's no class division. There's no male or female. There's no gender issues. Do those sound like issues that we struggle with today in our culture? Don't we see a polarizing, a division in our time over race and class and gender? The gospel says, look, all of that means nothing. In, in, in Christ, you're all the same. You're all the same. You're all equal in Christ. And that equal is of value and loved and cherished and justified. And so we are about a family of God. There should be no divisions here among us ethnically. There should be no measuring one another by some class, social class. And even gender, we are all just one in Christ. I said to the first service, you know, I'm just kind of this plain white guy. And, but you know what? I don't have a lot of ethnicity to kind of throw around, but guess what? I'm, I, I love Jesus. And I'm your brother and you're mine. And we're family. And so praise God. Amen. I would encourage you today to take these truths to heart. 
There's no hypocrisy. We're all saved, made righteous through faith, and we are all equal in the eyes of God through Christ. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you today for this truth. We thank you for this this defense of the gospel, this straightforward truth concerning the gospel. Lord, help us. Lord, we live in divisive times. We too live in the, in the same kind of uh, issues and conflict and polarizing and, and everybody wanting to, to, to move to their camp. But let it not be so in the house of God. Let it not be so in the family of God. Who we are in Christ trumps all other differences or uniqueness, diversities that we have. Those are merely the reflection of your creative genius. Of course we're different. Of course we're unique. Of course we're special in the eye of God and created in your image. But all of us are family in Christ. All of us are unified. Lord, help our hearts to be loving, to be humble, to be generous, to be kind, to be patient, to recognize that we are but a family, all of us, but sinners saved by grace. As our heads are bowed here today and we close in a song of worship, I, I do want to give you an opportunity if you need to respond to the Lord. It may be that God has spoken to you personally, very specifically in your heart today from our study. And I just want to pray for you if you feel the need to respond. And it may be that you simply need to respond to this gospel message of Jesus. Maybe you were one of those kind of thinking you were doing okay because you're a good person. And I don't doubt your sincerity. And I, and I, and I wouldn't disagree that in comparing with others and even me, you're probably a pretty good person. But that's not what justifies you before God. You've got to receive Christ. You've got, you've got to be forgiven and cleansed by, the, by what Jesus did for you at the cross. And maybe you're here today and you realize, I need Jesus. Yeah, I'm doing the best I can, but that's not, that's not what I need. What I need is Jesus. I need to be justified, cleansed, forgiven, completely free in him. I'd love to pray for you if you're here and you want to receive Christ. Maybe you're here today, you need to recommit your heart to Christ. Maybe there is some, there's just some corruption of the gospel that has crept into your thinking. Maybe it's pride. Maybe you're judging others or imagining yourself to be a better Christian and you realize today, stop it, quit that. And you just need to respond to the Lord and say, God, I, I, I need to be back at the, the cross where all the footing is on equal ground. Maybe you're here today and you're someone that has felt so condemned and so unworthy. Even as a Christian, you've had a hard time believing that you too are justified. And you just need to invite this grace into your heart and reckon it to be true because God has declared it over you, because Christ has done the work for you. And just kind of recommitting your heart to these truths. So if you're here today, you want to receive Christ for the very first time, or you need to rededicate, recommit your heart to Christ, 
But I ask you just to raise your hand where you're seated, and I'm going to pray for you. Anybody here today? There's a hand in the very back there on the aisle. God bless you. Up here in the front as well. God bless you. A couple hands here on the aisle. Amen. It's between you and the Lord. God bless you. Amen. If he's speaking to you, we're just going to pray. I'm not inviting you up. I'm just going to pray for you. But it's important that you acknowledge to him. He knows. He sees. This is for your heart to say amen. Your heart to say, Jesus, I confess these things. I need you. Help me. Rescue me. Save me. Anyone else before I pray? Lord, for these hearts that have responded to you, I pray that you would meet them with your love and with your grace. Oh God, I pray that the truth of the gospel would be so precious in their heart right now that they would know for certain that you love them, that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for their sins, that he is risen and is now standing as their advocate before you, and that they are justified and made righteous through faith in the Son. And that that, Lord, would set their heart free to love, to live, to walk in great joy and peace with you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. To view and listen to more sermons, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.